I'm Billy Groom, your host, and this is the Effective Animal Advocacy Show on the All About Animals radio platform. And today I have Devin Show from Born Free USA, which is such an amazing organization. They've been around a long time, they cover a lot, they've had a huge impact. And I'm so glad to have Devin here today. Hi, Devin. Thank you for joining us. Hi, yes. Thank you for having me. So I, I think the, the term born free, people just love it. It it just brings up such an, an amazing feeling for a lot of us, memories, and it just is so good. So can you tell us, that, you know, Born Free USA has had a long tradition. Can you briefly tell us about how it sprouted and you know, the, the main mission. Yeah, absolutely. So in the 1960s, uh, actress, then actress, who is now uh, Dame Virginia McKenna and her husband, actor Bill Travers, uh, they went into Kenya to make and star in a wildlife classic movie called Born Free, which is, mm-hmm. I think, why a lot of people know the name, at least, or have some kind of nostalgic connection to the organization name itself. Um, And so the film was based on the story of how a couple raised an orphan lion cub named Elsa before releasing her into the wild in Kenya. Um, So uh, these actors learn about the plight of wild animals while making a few wildlife films. um, And that was a life changing experience for both Virginia and Bill. And so they uh, this kind of transitioned into a passion for protecting wildlife and protecting animal welfare and wildlife conservation. And so they then established the Born Free Foundation in the UK in 1991. Fast forward to 2002, um, Born Free USA was launched in the United States uh, because the Travers wanted to bring Born Free's vision to the American public. And so now the son of Bill and Virginia is Will Travers, and he is our co-founder and board member of Born Free USA. And also in 2007, the uh, Born Free USA merged with Animal Protection Institute, or API. And also, I just want to add, since I know we'll circle back to it, Born Free USA also operates one of the largest primate sanctuaries in the United States. Uh, So at this almost 200-acre sanctuary in South Texas, we provide a safe and permanent home for monkeys that have been rehomed from traumatic situations like where they were kept as pets, um, rescued from zoo situations or um, from biomedical research as well. Okay. So there's a few things I want to tap into there. That was great. And you're right. We are going to circle back to the monkey sanctuary because don't we all just love monkeys? Well, we all love all animals, but um, so much. (laughs) it's such a cool thing. Yeah. And uh, I want to get back to it to that but I I want to say so that's interesting that it is born free USA but it actually started in the UK so is there still a born free UK yes yeah so the born free foundation which was that initial organization started in 1991 born free foundation is still very much present and um they do a lot of work around the world they um fund and support sanctuaries all over the world in Africa and Asia and throughout Europe as well. Uh, and they do a lot of similar work as us. We have the same core values at heart. And we also collaborate, Born Free USA also collaborates with Born Free Foundation on a number of projects. So um, most recently we released three reports about 
bigger wide-ranging mammals in captivity. So we did a giraffe report, an elephant report, and we're about to release a polar bear report uh, that focuses on the welfare and conservation issues of keeping these animals in zoos. And so we actually collaborated with Born Free Foundation on all of these reports, and they were responsible for kind of the UK and European research component of it. And then we were responsible for the North American research and writing of it. So it came together to form uh, some global pieces that really provide a comprehensive overview uh, of these issues across the planet. Okay, so a lot of it is getting stats, coming to conclusions and presenting scientific evidence uh, to ensure that decisions around where wildlife are being held, such as zoos, uh, obviously polar bears, I'm Canadian, so, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, all, again, all animals, but what is the take of uh, Born Free in respect to to zoos in general? Yes. What, 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 I, I was going to get into, I, I'll just backtrack a bit, I was going to get into the fact that there is a longstanding tradition a lot of organizations that have a longstanding tradition find challenges in evolving and growing. And what I like about Born Free is that you do evolve and grow and address current issues to make changes to prevent tradition and longstanding, oh, this, quote unquote, it's always been this way, or this is what we've always done. What I like is we need to move forward from that, that that can no longer be justification for improper treatment and inhumane treatment of animals. So that brings us to zoos. What is the, the born free? How did that uh, study come out or, or what, what came of that? Those studies on zoos and, and what's the take on that? Yeah, so historically, Born Free is an anti-zoo organization. Um, like our motto says, keep wildlife in the wild. Um, right. Essentially, other than legitimate rehabilitation or rescue centers, we really believe that wildlife belongs in the wild, free to live as they evolve to, free to make their own choices. Um, and through our research with all, all of those reports I just mentioned, um, it becomes very clear as you look at statistics uh, over the years that zoos across the world really don't hold up to the argument that they are good for the animal conservation, that they are good for animal welfare. They're actually really bad for these things, but yet they keep telling the public that they're doing good work in these areas and we know that they're not. Um, for example, if you just look at where their funding goes, it's really not allocated towards the species that are the most threatened. Um, it's really not allocated towards doing legitimate in situ conservation efforts and projects um, for the most part. So um, in addition to that, the animals themselves suffer immensely. Um, the habitats and enclosures that are designed are mostly designed for the public so that people can see these animals as much as possible, which isn't always good for the animals. It's actually rarely, if ever, good for the animals. Um, and their welfare really suffers as a result. So they develop all sorts of health issues. Um, they die prematurely, sometimes decades. In the case of elephants, they died decades uh, younger than they would in the wild. 
Um, their social structures are extremely unnatural. Um, moving or transferring animals between facilities is very stressful and, and costly as well. Yet um, they make the argument that they do these things to promote these breeding programs they have to have these sort of um, reserve populations, so to speak, in captivity. But the reality is zoos have released very few of these animals, especially the ones that they're breeding in captivity in the United States where they don't have a natural home range. So these elephants that they're breeding realistically are never going to be released into the wild in Africa or Asia, simply because it's almost impossible to do that logistically and financially. But yet zoos continue to say, oh, by having this birth of a cheetah or having this birth of a giraffe, it helps sustain those wild populations. But we just know that's not true. So um, we really do work on promoting public awareness around these issues and really sticking to the facts, as well as focusing on individual case studies where you have a story of a particular animal that had eight transfers over a period of 10 years. And you're like, why, why does this, why are they doing this? Why is this necessary? And it's just not, um, it's simply to keep different zoos collections new or, um, you know, try to breed the animals and it just doesn't work out because humans are not very good at controlling these things in captivity still after all these years. So um, yeah, it really comes down to those issues. So again, a few things come up. Um, yeah, zoos are, I, I love what you're doing. The The statistics that you're generating and where are they going? Are they making a difference? That's my one question. The second, before I forget, is you're saying it's challenging to get these animals to their natural habitat I'm guessing that's based simply on distance and the fact that a lot of these are animals are incredibly heavy and large. So the actual way of transporting them finances, but we do hear about animals that are coming out of uh, these situations, private zoos or city run zoos, and they're being released into sanctuaries. So they are doing that. Yeah. Um, so I would say, for trying to promote the most change we can in the most effective way we can, we we lobby on Capitol Hill for legislation that will further protect wild animals. So whether that's campaigning for um, support for legislation like the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which was just passed at the end of 2022, uh, so the end of last year, which uh, uh, bans the private ownership of most big cat species so people can no longer own them in private residences at their houses um, for safety purposes above all else that's really important and a really big win uh, for the big cats too and uh, secondary to that it prohibits public interactions with those cats so a lot of zoos like to do they use their ambassador animals so they call them so they'll have a cheetah come out that's on a leash or a baby tiger come out that's on a leash that will pose for photo ops with people. Um, oh and this is to quote, promote conservation, but it's really in reality, sending all of the wrong messages out to the general public, meaning Absolutely. that, right? Like people, people seeing this, even if they just see pictures of it or videos of it online, if they're not even there, they see this interaction and they see that people, one can get close to these animals without getting injured or dying. 
which isn't always true. <laughs> um, and so that's a big public safety issue. And number two, um, people seeing animals in these situations makes them think that these animals are not threatened in the wild um, when they really are. So um, it's really great that that piece of legislation was passed. It was a huge win for us. Born for USA, I know, had been working on getting that passed in Congress for the last 10 years since it was first introduced in 2012. So these things definitely take a long time, um, but that is pretty much at the core of what we do because legislation is where you will see that change. Um, that's where you will see the, the mentality of people start to shift once those sort of cases are presented to them and you give them the facts. And I think most people, most average people would once once you explain to them the welfare impacts and the conservation impacts in the wild of doing things like this that don't necessarily seem to be very harmful, but actually are, I think the average person would take a step back and say, oh, I don't want to support something like that for just a cool picture. Um, so I think promoting the awareness is an education of wild animals and their needs is really crucial. Um, Absolutely. And education and yeah, because people do want to do the right thing. It's when they simply don't know. Or what's highly unfortunate with zoos is I, a lot of the people do know that work there that are making the money, the zoo's making the money. They do know it's wrong. They do know it's harming the animals. They're well aware of that. They're well aware. I, I mean, are they reaching out to you to say, hey, Born for USA, can you help us make our zoo a better place? Do they ever do that? No. Not that I'm aware of. Honestly, <laughs> I think most people at zoos now that they know who we are and what we're about, uh, if we do reach out to them for any reason, they don't really want to be associated yep. with us just because they know that we're essentially yeah. trying to take them down and run them out of business. Um, so, so I think most of them that's, don't. Yeah. <laughs> It, yeah. It, yeah, that's that's a huge problem right there. So, mm -hmm. OK, um, so let's move forward to I guess you obviously you collaborate globally. That's pretty much been discussed. And is that collaboration globally with organizations under your umbrella or do you reach out to other ones? And if so, which ones and how's that going? Yeah, so um as I said, we work closely with our sister organization, Born Free Foundation in the UK um, on a lot of the reports that we do uh, and different research and campaigning efforts. Um, we also within North America, like uh, for passing legislation or drafting legislation, if it's something new that we want to present to Congress, um, that would be a situation where we join a coalition of other organizations, several other organizations that are very similar to us in terms of um, promoting animal welfare and um, anti-cruelty cruelty efforts. So uh, we will join a coalition and collaborate with other organizations and people of different um, positions within those organizations and um, draft what that legislation would look like. So for example, um, as I mentioned, we did that with the Big Cat Public Safety Act. And more recently, we have done that with um, fur farming, mink fur farms in the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. um, so we have 
uh, come together with a few other groups for uh, the last year or so. And we essentially want to uh, present a bill that would ban the farming of mink and it would provide a grant for the fur farmers who are in the process of ending their operation. So um, that, so that has been in the works. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Okay, I was going to say that would be something that would be a deterrent to that bill being enacted would be the the repercussions uh, on the people who do that profession. So by providing a solution to that repercussion, although it is a little <laughs> could be controversial for some people and some people say, why should they get, you know, financial kickback? Um, but on the same note, if it allows the bill to go through. You, I could see to get bills passed where you would have to collaborate uh, with people with other uh, skill sets and knowledge in the same mission and goal or or topic. Getting back to transferring the animals out of these zoos, I, I, I think I ran ahead there, but um, getting back to being able to get them to these sanctuaries, they that has been done. Do you want to talk about some of the the challenges or the collaborations or how that is yeah. that is it more a matter of just stopping it in the zoos or getting the animals out or a combination yeah so we know that um even though we've been anti-zoo for years um we know that it will be a very long process uh i'm not sure that that will ever happen in my lifetime where we're able to get zoos to acknowledge the issues they have and shut down so that we only have legitimate sanctuaries and rescue centers in the world. I don't know if that's ever realistically happening in the next few decades. But what we do recommend is a more realistic approach, keeping that in mind. So for example, in our reports that we've come out with um, that I mentioned before, the ones about the wide-ranging mammals, so the giraffes, elephants, and polar bears, we know it's not realistic to send all of these animals to sanctuaries overnight if zoos were to decide that they were to agree with us and they would shut down. Um, we know that's not going to happen <laughs> um, after the release of these reports. Uh, so um, what we recommend instead is a phase out, a gradual phase out of breeding these animals in captivity. And uh, once that takes course uh, once you have a, a few less animals in captivity in these institutions to rearrange them in the most strategic way possible so that they can have the social groups that they would in the wild. Uh, it could better replicate that. Or for example, in the case of polar bears, relocate them to institutions that are in places that are more climately appropriate. So polar bears are kept in a lot of really, really hot places, which is horrible for them. Um, so we would want to see more of a shuffling around and, and uh, refocus on where these animals are kept just to benefit their welfare and keep the focus on these animals instead of focusing on pleasing the visitors or pleasing the public, public which has been a focus for this entire time leading up to now. So a little bit of an off-topic question, but has the popularity of ecotourism and you know what, you have to get off your ass and go and see these animals in their environment. And if you pay for a boat 
you know, a boat trip to go see the whales and there just happens to be no whales that day. Oh, well, but that's, that's where they are in the wildlife. And if you can't see them there, then I guess you're stuck with uh, TV and not that in between stage of bringing the polar bears out of their environment and putting them in an overly heated, as an example, an overly heated place so that the public can say that they've seen a polar bear. Has the popularity of these ecotourism, has that helped with, have you noticed the change where fewer people visit zoos? No, I really don't think so because that mental shift hasn't occurred, at least in the United States yet. Um, Still, we see a lot of elementary schools taking kids on field trips to zoos and parents wanting to take their kids to zoos for, you know, a quote, educational day. But in reality, we know that the zoos are teaching all the wrong things about these animals. Uh, they're, They're showing these kids, the animals, it may be in real life, but they're showing the kids that these animals are essentially living in enclosures that are, uh, you know, a a very small fraction of their natural home range size. And we're showing these kids that it's okay to completely displace an animal that has evolved in one climate and is specifically evolved to eat things and hunt in this climate and um, be comfortable in these climates. And we take them out of that climate completely um, into a completely unnatural environment. I don't think that showing kids or anyone really, I don't think showing them these animals in that type of environment really instills the right type of um, education or the right type of passion, right? Because nothing about that is natural. Nothing about that is helpful to the planet or to the animals themselves. Uh, It really just shows you that people can continue to remove animals from their wild habitat and keep them as a possession essentially that they make money off of and they can exploit, which with born free, we really, uh, we do species level conservation, but we also really do focus on the individuals and their stories and their experience in these different exploitative environments. And we really want to convey to people that they, they aren't having a good time in these places and, and showing that, uh, regularly is just not helpful for anyone. Yeah, the mental and emotional impact is, well, that's where my background is. And that's, that's where Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm not a vet, but I am a behaviorist. So Mm -hmm. that and actually, um, you can see that in zoos, which I've been to, um, to study that with veterinarians on why these animals, for example, won't procreate or won't eat. And it's less physical often than emotional. Same with people, right? If we're out of our comfort zone, changing our eating habits or not being able to do what we would normally do, even if it's not restricted, we just choose emotionally to not do it because we're not comfortable. We're not comfortable in our surroundings and they're not natural. So it's, yeah, that absolutely. I mean, it it seems so easy for us to say, well, let's just get laws made that if an animal's not in its natural environment, it's against the law, which inherently would make zoos put, put them out of business. But 
that's not as easy. And and you've touched on this already where it can take a decade and take multiple organizations and collaborations um, and support from the public all the way up to influential organizations to make that happen. So that's, it, it seems as though Born for USA has taken this on as a realistic, these are realistic challenges. They're challenges and they're barriers, but they're ones that you're accepting and address, accepting in a good way. You're continuing to uh, push through and, and to make it happen, but but they're there. They're realistic barriers. And if they if it wasn't so challenging to get those laws enacted or changed, there would be changes made sooner and, and easier. Is, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the issue, I think, a lot of the time is that lack of public awareness and education, um, especially on wild animal behaviors and needs. Like we see that on social media all the time. People don't immediately see that uh, keeping a wild animal in a pet situation is cruel or wrong. Um, but because their needs look a, a lot different from domesticated animals and their uh, display of stress or um, trauma is that behaviorally looks very different from our own sometimes or domesticated animals experiencing stress. Um, that lack of awareness and education leads people to thinking that, again, keeping wild animals in these situations is fine and nothing's wrong with it. So yeah, number one, I think the obstacle we really face is that lack of public awareness um, and education on what a wild animal really needs to survive and thrive. And it's also more immediate issues that Congress has, like inflation, policing, taxes, all that stuff. It does seem <laughs> that the four pillars, for example, of Born Free USA are advocate, investigate, enforce, and educate. And, you know, even with domesticated animals, the shelter system, those type of things, education is, is huge in animal welfare. And schools, you, you did bring up schools and, and young children going to these. Do, do you find, do, do you have programs that start with the young people? Or are you focusing, or is that something that's sort of out of? Yeah. More recently, we have developed campaigns that are more geared towards our supporters and people who are passionate about animal issues, but don't know where to begin or just have no experience with things like lobbying or campaigning for a certain cause. So we actually recently came out with something called the Activist Toolkit, which um, cool. is, That's awesome. yeah, it's super cool. Uh, it's one of our newer campaigns. It's on our website, bornforusa.org. Um, and it's, uh, it's essentially a package of resources that people can use, um, including social media, uh, templates for sharing things you want to increase awareness on, um, how to engage with your local lawmaker, how to contact them uh, to let them know about a bill you would like them to co-sponsor or support in some way. Um, we also have flyers that you can pass out about given issues, like um, if a circus is coming to town and you want to try to stop it. Or, oh, um, fantastic. If, mm -hmm, yeah, or if you want to educate people about why the fur trade is bad or why trapping is bad. 
Um, we have fact sheets and flyers that have all of that information on there that's already made for people to just print out and distribute. So um, we really, more recently, we have been taking more of a, a approach that helps people know that they can make a difference, even if they don't feel like they can. Um, because I think if you can change the, wine, the mind of one person, you can change the mind of a few people, right? So um, I think that's the biggest obstacle with a lot of people. They're like, oh, what, what difference am I going to make? I'm just one person. But again, because Born Free cares about the individual experience, just helping. If you just save one animal, that's incredible. That's a whole life. So um, that is great. Amazing. And it's not just yeah. about donating. It's you, mm -hmm. there's many different ways. So that's that's a cool program. I like that. I'm going to go check that out, which brings me actually back to what you talked about earlier, that sanctuary for the monkeys. And what yes. I love about that is people can actually, which isn't revolutionary, but it's really kind of cool and fun. People can adopt a monkey, you know, online adopt um, and yes. go there yeah. and kind of choose the one that, you know, and, and get information and, and have that. So do, do you want to tell us more about that sanctuary and, and how people can be involved in that? Yeah, absolutely. So the sanctuary and the monkeys there have a very special place in my heart because that's actually uh, how I first started working for Born Free. I was a primate caregiver there for about Aww. five years. Yeah. Um, and then Best I tried job ever. This. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> I still think back on those memories so fondly. I loved working with the monkeys every day. It's so fun to watch them and care for them and um I, I love it. So I do personally know all of the <laughs> monkeys on the adoption program. Um, so I can attest to the fact that they're all just wonderful um, and have their own personalities and they're just amazing. But um, so we do have a group of monkeys that um, represent all the monkeys at the sanctuary that people can choose to adopt. And on the adoption webpage on our website, uh, we have a picture of everyone so you can see what they look like and you can also read their bio. So we have like a little personal history for everyone because they're all from different places. Like most of them were pets before. Um, but, you know, uh, some of the monkeys we have there are from labs or from roadside zoos, things like that. Um, and they all have a very compelling story. So I would encourage people to get on there and just take a look, um, read about the monkeys and what the adoption program is, you can choose how much you want to give and how often. So you can give uh, $1 per week or um, you can choose a different amount and you can help provide food, care and individual attention to all of the monkeys so that they can really get the best care that they deserve um, in this sort of second chance phase of their lives. Um, and so once you do that, uh, you can also get like an adoption package, which will have like a photo of the monkey you're sponsoring, um, with his or her biography and a adoption certificate and a little plush toy. Um, and then you'll also receive regular updates about the monkeys. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great. And then since it's February and Valentine's day is coming up, I also want to mention, we have a monkey Valentine program as well. And this is just on the first page of our website, if you just go to bornforusa.org, it'll like, it'll be right there um, where you can send a little treat uh, to the monkeys as part of a Valentine's Day um, little themed uh, 
program. So that's awesome. And I would like to point out too, that anyone who's listening, even if you have an organization or a school, uh, if you're part of a school or part of an organization, you could adopt a monkey as that. And then you're reaching and helping to educate so many more people because you're Uh, It could even be maybe a kid's soccer team or something like that that could adopt a monkey. And the amount of money per person or even everybody wouldn't have to if they if they can't or don't want to donate financially, but just help it to be spread awareness and, and to educate. So it's such a good program that way, because it, again, isn't saying that you have to donate a great amount of money. It's just a a really, if anything, more a way of spreading awareness. And I do love the write-ups. I love that the write-ups have the personality, the individual personality, because that's what I'm all about with animals, is that they all Mm -hmm. have their own history, background, personality, and where they came from, if you know, that type of thing. So I do think that's a great program. So is there... Anything else that you would like to share with us or any upcoming campaigns, uh, if you can share a secret, (laughs) which would make (laughs) it not a secret, (laughs) Uh, or just any advice or suggestions you can give to people that you think that would be just a helpful little tidbit of information before we let you go, Devin? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So... We do have um, another report that we just launched recently, uh, in addition to that activist toolkit campaign I mentioned. Uh, So our newest report is called Selling Suffering, and it explores the online sale of exotic animals uh, throughout the United States. So we had, um, we basically monitored uh, a few different websites that sell exotic animals. And we monitored we monitored over a few months to track how many animals they were selling, what species, the age of these animals, uh, the price, everything we could get. And it was an update of a report we had done a few years prior, uh, just to sort of paint the landscape of exotic animal sale and ownership in the United States. And so what we found is Well, you'd have to read the report for most of it uh, for the good stuff. But I I do want to highlight that we found that people are selling these animals in states where it's not legal to own these species. Um, We found that it's very profitable for these breeders and traders. And um, the way these animals are advertised is very misleading because it, again, goes into that miseducation, um, similar to what zoos do, where they just these animals as tame or uh, sweet, um, easy to take care of, things like that. But it's just setting people up for failure. Uh, So that's one of our newest reports. We're also going to release that polar bears in captivity report very soon. So keep an eye out for that. Um, And yeah, I think I would just say, um, again, just stressing that message, if you can change the mind of just one person, you can change the mind of more. And if you can improve the life of one animal, chances are you can improve the lives of many. Um, So the small victories do always make a difference. Even if it seems like you're not making any change. um, If you look at just the little tiny incremental changes that happen um, a few years from now, it will be so much. 
and it's it's a hundred percent worth it for these animals and um, keeping them in the wild and fighting for them since they can't usually fight for themselves. So um, it's very rewarding, and I encourage anyone who feels passionately about animals or thinks they might just to do some more research on it and check out our website to find out more. Oh, thank you so much. That was so well said and so truthful. Every little bit helps and there's so many different ways of helping. So find your passion and find your skill sets, combine those and it does make a difference. Thank you so much, Devin. That was Devin's show from Born Free USA and we will have all the links in the show notes. And this is Billy Broom. I'm your host on All About Animals Radio, Effective Animal Advocacy Show. Thank you so much, Devin. Take care. Thank you.